Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air via social distancing. I'm Kayan Isaacson. This week, Suzanne Morris joins Cosmo for 321 Go. Then, Suzanne Morris and Sophia Navoa talk with Katie Provenger and Hannah Jacobson, who co-founded their newly launched housing and commercial relocation business, Housing to Home. First up, 321 Go. Hello and welcome to another edition of 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, business, culture, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. Joining me here on 321 Go is Suzanne Morse. Hello. Hey, Suzanne. Good to have you back. Filling in for the official voice of OA On Air, Kyanne Isaacson. Always great to have you. My colleague of many years. Um, hey, Suzanne, some, some interesting topics this week. Let's start with uh, the postscript on the Super Bowl. Um, Kai and I talked about it as we have uh, over the last couple of years, uh, last week before the game. Another big historic victory for Tom Brady and also Rob Gronkowski, this time as members of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not the New England Patriots. That was obviously the big storyline, certainly in New England and elsewhere. Um, but, you know, and, you know, Suzanne, the coverage was pretty interesting because there was a lot of different angles. And it was kind of an angle that the media may not have knew how to properly cover. And that is, what about the whole New England angle of your your beloved quarterback going off and, and winning a Super Bowl with another team? Yeah, now I should say, I should warn you, my cable decided to cut out about a minute uh, before the end of the first half so I actually missed most of like the halftime show etc but I saw a lot of the pregame activities and you know I think wait this, well this just in no actually you didn't because there was not a tremendous amount to miss <laughs> with the weekend so I hear I caught about the last two minutes of the uh, of the weekend's performance um you know I to be fair to them so I, I think this was this was a hard um production for them to put on because partly because there were so many different um storylines you know they i think they did a decent job sort of recognizing the importance of the moment they had the performance of lift every voice and sing um they had invited a number of frontline healthcare workers so they they sort of covered themselves in terms of recognizing a lot of the different sort of social and um other challenges that uh the country has faced and then they got, you know, they obviously had this ready-made storyline and sort of Brady versus uh, Mahomes, which is sort of the, you know, all-time greatest versus this up-and-coming superstar. And, and that was good. But I do feel like the New England element, the media didn't quite know what to do with it. And CBS may have done the best by having um, a, they had a package where they were talking to fans from New England some of whom were talking about it's like watching my ex get remarried and others who were like, no, I will, I will follow Tom Brady. But then you saw some, um, some people on Twitter who assumed that everyone in new England is actually angry at Tom Brady. And that's certainly not my experience that, you know, I personally am kind of ambivalent, but most people I saw, most people I follow on social media were absolutely, you know, very much rooting for Brady and Gronkowski. So I do feel like they didn't quite know how to get a handle on that storyline. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. 
you know, I, I was surprised even by my my own sort of thoughts or emotions on this. I'm a big fan. I've been a season ticket holder for many years of the Patriots. Love Tom Brady. Would love to be there when he goes into the hall into Canton at the Hall of Fame. And, you know, my first thought uh, after the AFC and NFC championship games was, you know what? I'm a lifelong AFC fan. I'm not changing now. I'm 100% behind the Kansas City Chiefs because that's my conference and blah, blah, blah. It wasn't like I, I was mad at Tom Brady. It just, I felt like, and I swear to God, the by the coin toss, on, I'm like, yeah, okay, that, that that's that's over with. I'm like, you know, I want you, I want to see Brady win that yeah. ring. And and I think it only really now. I think some people went way overboard though with their Brady love uh, as New England fans and, and how how important it was to be behind him. I just was I found it fascinating and interesting and and remarkable that he's that dominant of a figure in all of sports history, forget about just the NFL, to have achieved that. But, you know, I think it just adds to, in my opinion, maybe not the legacy of the Patriots franchise, but the legacy of what we've enjoyed as fans. It just makes it all that more amazing and enjoyable that, yeah, that guy's got seven Super Bowl rings and, and, he, and he won six of them here in New England. I think it's, I, you know, I agree with that. I I completely agree with that. I don't see how that that diminishes his legacy in New England. I think it just adds no. to it. Um, I do think, and I, it was uh, something that uh, a former guest of the show, Doug Banks, uh, commented on on Twitter. We all have sat through you and I and Catherine as well. Uh, six of the Super Bowls that Brady won, which were heart attack games, and this one he won so easily. And I mean, that's just not fair to us. I know. Although I got to tell you, I would not trade the Malcolm Butler interception or twenty or twenty eight three for anything. Even though I was, I thought I was going to die both nights. I, well, that is true. They were exciting games, and of course, they will definitely go down as some of the best Super Bowls in history. I do wonder what kind of reckoning this means for the Patriots, um, because it's one thing if uh, Brady had gone to Tampa and just fallen apart, but since he didn't, um, you know, I think that. It means there may be some changes in the Patriots going forward. What that means, I don't know. I have no inside information, but I, I would have to imagine there would be. Indeed. Indeed. All right, Suzanne, let's shift gears from football to music, uh, specifically the much maligned, certainly by me, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, the, the latest nominees are up. And um, I think there's 16 of them. I thought we would do something kind of fun, just rapid fire, kind of lightning round. I'll, 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 I'll bang right through all of these nominees to get your reaction. Uh, you know, yes, no, not yet uh, in, in terms of the status of them. And, uh, and, and, and maybe there's a category I'll call shilling for for. Someone who I, uh, an act that just ought to be uh, in purgatory indefinitely. But let's go, let, let's bang through these. All right, the Go Go's. Um, well, I should give you a warning. Any uh, female artist, I'm going to say yes. And so that would include the Go Go's. Wait, wait. Every well, we'll single... talk about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, I am going to say yes. Yes. Good. Shaka Khan. Yes. No. Kate Bush. Yes. Uh, 
I don't have a strong enough opinion. Carol King. Yeah, definitely. Double yes, absolutely. Dionne Warwick. Yes, absolutely. It's a crime she's not in there, which already, which we're going to get to. Yes. Foo Fighters. Um, you know, that's a hard one. I actually like the Foo Fighters as kind of the last Generation X band standing. Um, oh, well put. So I think I would give them a yes. Interesting. I, I'm not going to give them the no. And I, I went to their first tour, which was amazing. I, and I love Dave Grohl. And I, love, I, I really like the Foo Fighters. Uh, I think they're kind of overexposed in, in, a, in a sort of non-musical way. Um, I'm going to give them a not yet, even though they, they, they basically have been around forever. Uh, I, I'm just not ready to commit to them. Okay. Uh, New York Dolls. Um, so this gets into a category of music musicians who I you know recognize are important, but I don't know enough about them. So I would probably put them in a kind of not yet category. Got it. Got it. I'm going to say not yet. Also, I, I think they could get in. Uh, they're an important part of the 70s New York City glam rock era. I just don't right. know if they had enough of it lasting impact. All I remember about them is Buster Poindexter's sort of second <laughs> exactly. career in the 80s. Exactly. Iron Maiden. I'm not a fan of uh, metal at all, so I would say no on that. Yeah, I absolutely love Iron Maiden. I'm going to give them a not yet. I'm a little. I'm. 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 I'm going to be tough on some of these. Love Iron Maiden, just just a not yet. Mary J. Blige. Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll say I don't know enough. Devo. I think no. I mean, Devo was kind of really important in the early '80s as one of a part of the new wave band, but I don't know that they had a long enough career. I think you're right. I, I uh, you hit the nail on the head. I think they were a very important band and uh, um, uh, unique and interesting. But just you got to have an impact. I mean, look, it's 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 worth looking to sports uh, baseball Hall of Fame and others. You got to have a lasting impact. To yes. be a Hall of Fame act. Yeah. You know? uh, Rage Against the Machine. I'm not a fan, so I'm going to say no on that. Yeah. Um, absolutely breakthrough um, kind of kind of act. Tom Morello, an unbelievable breakthrough guitarist. Again, uh, great band, not enough lasting impact. Maybe right. someday, just uh, I, I, I don't know. Not yet. And I feel like they're known more for their political activism than their, their musical work. So... Uh, okay, but maybe you know, not- Tom is an unbelievable guitar player. Todd Rundgren. Yeah. Um, I don't know enough about Todd Rundgren except to know that he's one of those names you hear a lot of. So I would say no, but you know, or maybe in the somewhere between no and not yet. Yeah. I'm 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 a I'm mildly interested in his in his work. Uh, not strong enough to give him a yes. LL Cool J. Cool Jay's an interesting one, and and you know Jay Z is coming up as well. I mean, I feel like they're both both LL Cool J and Jay Z are are really important artists within those sort of rap and hip hop fields. So I probably would say yes to both of them. Yeah, I I I think I would. Um, I I I I should have a better understanding of um historically what hip hop and rap acts have been inducted, um, but. I, I tend to think yes. Tina Turner is next. Oh yes, one hundred percent. I mean, that, we'll get to it, but she is already in as part of um, the act of um, 
I can Tina Turner, but um, she should absolutely be in. She should have been in for her solo career a long time ago. Yeah, I, th- I thought she was. Fela Kuti. Um, I looked this this individual up. I am going to pass on that because I, I just don't know anything about him. I, I don't either. I learned that a million people attended his funeral, but wow. so that, he's got that going for him. <laughs> yeah, don't know enough. Jay-Z, honestly, I should know a lot about Jay-Z's music. I don't. I, I recognize him as a humong- as a powerhouse in the entertainment industry. Um, I can't make an informed opinion on his music other than I know some of his stuff. Right. So, all right. So, so an important theme this year is, is, is some, some remarkable female artists to, to, to talk about that and, and why you feel that all of them should, uh, should be inducted. Right. So let me ask you a question. Do you know, what the percentage of women is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't. I hope you know. Otherwise, we're going to sound silly. <laughs> I do. It is 8%. Out of 8%. the, uh, this was a, I read an article that was in NPR last year from a, they spoke to a woman named Evelyn McDonald, who is a, uh, teaches both music and journalism at Loyola Marymount. She did an analysis of the 880 inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, only 69 are women. Now that was in January 2020. They also inducted last year Whitney Houston, so now that means 70. Uh, 70 now let me ask you a question: Does that does that uh, does that include within that number? Does that include all the members of an all female act, or just the act itself? That's a well? good question. I mean, I, one of the things that she noted is that you know, for instance, like Linda Ronstadt, you know headed a band but when that band went in all the male members went in so i assume that includes all the yes female members of um of the acts of of girl groups like if the go-go's get in it would be all four of the women who are in the go-go's yeah i i would i mean if the point is gee that seems scandal scandalously low i would agree i mean if i think of historically in the history of rock and roll are all of my what I consider the best acts among those that are female? Is it less than ten percent? Right. Of my favorites, maybe, maybe not. Of the ones that are deserve greatness, absolutely, it's more than that. Absolutely. Well, and so, and I think when you look at the nominees this year of the women, you know, including the Go-Go's, but as we named the the six women, uh, you know, solo acts are Mary J. Blige, Kate Bush, Chaka Khan, Carole King, Tina Turner, and Dionne Warwick. Dionne Warwick's first album was in 1963. Tina Turner's first solo album was in 1974. And I mean, you know, Private Dancer, which was kind of her big iconic album, came out in 1983. I mean, it seems to me yeah. a little, you know, crazy that they and, and Carol King Tapestry came out in I think in '71. Like these, these women for their solo careers should have been in already. I should also mention Carol King is already in uh, as a songwriter because of her partnership with Jerry Goffin, but. You know, in the case of both Carol King and, and Tina Turner, their solo careers were very influential in their own right, and they should be in there in their own right, and they should have been in there, you know, ten or fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, in their own right. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, for a future discussion, um, I have to tell you, 
you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that's, you know, of the uh, of the age of the generation where most of the most of my favorite music or most of the stuff that, uh, you know, I would associate with my is older music, you know, not all right. of it, but most of it. But, you know, the most interesting part of my listening is the newer acts uh, in, in individual artists and bands, um, most mostly that I that I come across on YouTube. I think a lot of people find their new music that way. Yeah. And, and easily the majority right now of say the five or eight favorite newer things that I've gotten into in the last, say five years, all female, right? Yeah. A few different types, one predominantly, one predominant style of kind of roots rock music or, but not just that. And it's, you know, just just the way my current uh tastes are uh, you know my my favorite acts right now that I've, that I've come to like recently and they're all you know they're all younger acts are all female so interesting yeah well you you hope that the i'm not sure if there's public voting on the hall of fame or not but if there is yeah, i would encourage there, people there is i don't i, I don't know how legitimate there yeah. is public voting I don't know how it weighs. Well, vote for the female acts if you're publicly voting for the Hall of Fame. <laughs> That's my uh, because it's such a it's such a stark imbalance that I don't think can be justified by anything other than you know artificial reasons. So you know people should be out there voting for for all these women. Yeah. All right. Sounds good, Suzanne. Let's uh, let's wrap up this week with. Um... You know, a story that has just really captured uh, the imagination and the humor of just about everyone, and that is the cat lawyer wears a 10-gallon hat, too. Rod Ponton from uh, from Texas. Uh, this week, unless you were literally living under a rock, you probably saw more than once the video of a Zoom hearing, as many or most hearings are still happening right now nationwide in Texas. Three lawyers and a judge. And... Um, this one attorney, Rod Ponton, somehow uh, the computer he was using, I think a, a, a youngster had used it earlier and a cat, little cat filter was on. And instead of uh, this very Texas looking, you know, 60 something guy, it was a cat with his voice. And it had to be one of the funniest 30 seconds of anything I've seen and anyone has seen in, in a long time. I mean, do you ever have those things that you come across and no matter how many times you watch them, you just start uncontrollably laughing? I'm, I think I've seen it now 30 times every time I laugh. Start it is hilarious. End. And I think partly it's hilarious because it's not only that he's the cat, but like the eye movement. I mean, yes. And his relentless focus, right? I, I, he says, I'm, you know, I'm prepared to move forward with this, but, and um, I'm live. I'm not a cat. Like he's saying, I know I look like a cat, but we need to move ahead with the hearing, and I'm ready. You know, <laughs> I, I know. And the judges beat before he's like, I can see that. I mean, yeah. the and whole thing was just hysterical. And then the court turned it into a PSA, saying, you know, keep in mind if you're, you know, someone may have used your your Zoom filter, and you want to adjust those before you get on your Zoom. It was it was just hilarious. I, 
Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I think, you know, on the face of it, it's absurdly funny, right? So I think and you'd laugh at it no matter where, dynamic. but I also think it's, I think part of the reason why it went so viral is because right now, so much of our interpersonal contact is now either through Zoom or, you know, telephone or, or whatever. So, you know, even it's not just professionally, it's personally, like most of the conversations I have with my mother now are either through Zoom or, you know, on the phone or something or with my brothers. And I think everyone could, you know, relate to this notion that like, technology is so ubiquitous in our life, but we don't always have control over it. So I think that that's why, you know, it, was, it resonated with a lot of people. Yeah. The other, and the other attorneys did not, I mean, barely, one guy barely cracked a smile at the very end, but they were just stone faced, like all business. And, and, um, and I love how the judge turned it into a PSA. Um, and, and then the guy must've been interviewed a bunch of times, but I saw one, the, the, the cat lawyer where he said, look, you know, the country probably could use a big laugh right now. And if it was at my expense, that's fine. He was, he was, a, he was a really good sport. And it was, I just, it was a good moment. Exactly. I agree. Given everything that was going on, it was, it was nice to laugh about it. Yeah. All right, Suzanne. Thanks a lot. Great conversation. All right, Suzanne. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. As always. That's going to do it for this week's edition of three, two, one, go. Our program is recorded remotely from various locations around the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and nationwide. Catherine O'Brien's our producer. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero. This is Suzanne Morse, and I'm here with my colleague, Sophia Navoa. And we're joined today by Katie Provencher and Hannah Jacobson, co-founders of the new women-owned housing and commercial relocation startup, Housing to Home. And they are here to tell us about what it's like starting a new business in the midst of a pandemic. Hannah and Katie, welcome to OA On Air. Thanks, Suzanne, for having us. We're excited to be here today. So let's start with the basics. What does housing relocation mean when it comes to the community development sector? You know, what usually triggers a housing relocation? Yeah, so this is Hannah, I can answer that. So we use the word relocation when we're referring to an affordable housing development that's owned and managed either by a public housing authority or nonprofit organization or private owner that's using local, state, or federal funding to preserve and renovate affordable housing. So we assist these owners and agencies through the process of renovations, which usually include occupied rehabs, whether residents need to move out uh, temporarily while the renovation gets done. Maybe they're just leaving during the day and they return each night, or in some cases where there's a massive redevelopment that includes demolishing buildings, we help find suitable off-site housing for residents until the project is completed. Um, and there's a lot of funding requirements that are triggered and require certain benefits and advisory services be given to these households. And so that's what we specialize in is the assisting through the relocation process. Just to be clear, the trigger is often an affordable housing property owner or developer is interested in upgrading their units or, you know, rehabilitating or renovating some of the housing stock that they have. So that would be a typical trigger for, you know, needing some relocation support that you guys provide, correct? Yes, that's exactly right. And so what services is Housing to Home providing for property managers and owners around this process? 
Yeah, so it's Katie. As Hannah mentioned, we're doing a lot of relocation work, and we do that both in residential setting and different housing developments and also in commercial settings. Similar processes apply for, for relocation. We're also focusing on resident engagement and community building. So really utilizing relocation as a moment to engage residents and to, to build community. Oftentimes it's seen as a, a scary, intimidating moment, but Hannah and I and Housing Home really view it as, as a great moment for property owners and developers to get to know residents and to build rapport with, with residents and to really build the community. So that's the approach that we've been taking. Yeah. And real estate and business related to it, even in the nonprofit community development world, is still predominantly male-oriented sector. What's it like being in the sector as two women launching this business? And why did you start Housing to Home? It's pretty awesome. So I, I grew up in, in this world. I worked at one of my favorite organizations, Urban Edge Housing Corporation in Boston for over a decade. And so I'm used to being one of the only women in the room. Um, over the years, though, I, I'd say that there are more women in the room at the, at the head of the table making decisions. So that's been pretty great to, to, to watch and to experience. And for Hannah and I, just we worked together for the past couple of years and our sort of our philosophies and our approach, wanting to do amazing work, great work for clients and residents really just led us to go out on our own and start our own company. Well, that's a good segue to my next question, which is talk a little bit about the challenges of launching a, a new business. I mean, in general, there are challenges, but, you know, particularly during a pandemic, there's an extra set of challenges and, you know, feel free to talk about both. So I'd say it's finding a good bank and finding good business insurance. <laughs> <laughs> All jokes aside, I think those were our two most difficult hurdles to date. You know, for me, I've, I've been deputy director and a CEO. And so oftentimes had a group of people who did some of the pieces of running a company for me. But Hannah and I, starting on our own from the ground up, have gotten to know everything from HR to payroll to benefits to insurance, sort of every aspect, which has been really an amazing opportunity for us. Also, just to answer your second part of your question, Suzanne, during COVID, <laughs> everything just takes longer and is more complicated. It's, it's all doable work. We've been great practicing physical distancing with our clients and with residents and wearing PPE and being really uh, COVID-19 thoughtful. It's just, you know, everything is just taking longer and just finding out new ways of doing different activities than how we used to them. Doing resident meeting via Zoom or producing uh, frequently asked questions to residents instead of being able to have meetings and just really thinking creatively. But, you know, in, in our world during, during COVID, uh, business has not slowed down. It's, it's probably picked up because owners and developers are looking for a team like us to really help them navigate the COVID world during construction with residents. Yeah, and you're in a position where, I mean, I, I would imagine some parts of your work could shift to a more virtual tools, but there are parts of your work that are still frontline. And so you obviously have to be prepared and planning around that to make sure you're doing it safely for yourselves and obviously for the residents and contractors, et cetera. That's exactly right. Yep. That's been our everyday for sure. So what distinguishes housing to home as a business? So uh, Hannah and I really set out to be a firm that is part of a team for our clients that's really filling holes or gaps that they may have and really helping to build their capacity. Uh, having been on the development side and the relocation side for, for many years, we, we both learned that a lot of times our clients have some capacity or some experience 
with relocation and they're you know not looking to hire new full-time employees sort of via third party they're looking to build their own capacity and we're more than happy to do that we're also happy to hire employees that are running running a job from beginning to end but when there exist moments to build resident to build capacity of our clients and to help their team learn more about relocation we're completely happy to be that just want to be a part of the, of the team and really bring a strong value add so tell us a little bit more about the kinds of clients that you're working on. Yeah, so we're working right now with public housing authorities, with nonprofit developers, all the way from New Hampshire down through Massachusetts, New York City, Virginia, uh, Georgia, down to Texas, too, for some consulting work. So we're doing kind of all, all the things that Katie mentioned. We're doing full relocation services to assisting residents out of their units every day, which we call like occupied rehab where they return at night, helping them get prepped and packed for renovations to helping developers and, and agencies plan through their uh, relocation work that's coming up and whether it be just consulting with them or actually meeting with the residents one-on-one -on -one to discuss the process and their rights and benefits to also helping with uh, permanent relocation, which is when people have to be moved out for more than 12 months and securing offsite housing. So kind of doing it all. And then um, also some commercial relocation as well. All over the place. <laughs> so with that, is there any advice you'd like to give anyone contemplating starting their own business right now? Yeah, uh, I mean, just to kind of echo what Katie was talking about, I would say just to do it. There's never a good time to take a risk to start a business and to, you know, start working for yourself, maybe especially not during a pandemic, but you know, you'll never be as prepared as you think you are. And just to talk to ev everyone and anyone you know who has done it, they'll give you invaluable advice, support, and tell you about their mistakes. We've definitely gotten a lot of really great support and help through this process that has been just, yeah, completely invaluable as we got started. Yeah. And I, I think to, to add on to that, in terms of Hannah and I working together, if you are partnering with someone, just you know, making sure it's the right, the right person. It's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot, a lot of hours put in. Um, you're going to want to have similar philosophies and approaches and really be on the same page that you're running this business with, which, you know, Hannah and I are blessed to have and, and hope people who have similar business partners are able to, to launch on their own. Katie, you mentioned a little bit earlier about the resident engagement work that you guys are doing. Talk a little bit more about why that's so important to the work that Housing to Home does. I mean, that's, this is this is why Hannah and I are in this business, right? This is to make sure that residents are getting great service in these moments where their homes are getting turned upside down. It's a confusing and scary moment, and we really believe in working closely with residents to ensure that they understand everything going on, they understand their rights and benefits, the next steps, and that, you know, that both us and our clients are going to make sure that everything goes well during this relocation. Definitely a big piece of, of why we do this this work for sure. And just making sure that clients are taking great care of residents and that this great customer service is, is a big piece for us. Wonderful. Is there anything we missed? Just a reminder that we, you know, we provide excellent service to residents. Clients want to have a lot of fun and do great work. And we hope that everyone checks us out at www.housingtohome.com and that we're both also on Twitter and LinkedIn. Housing T.O. Home. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, Katie Provencher and Hannah Jacobson, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Susanna. Sophia. Thank you, guys.
that's it for this week's episode of OA On Air via social distancing. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week.